Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Thank you for joining us yet again on this glorious Wednesday, Thanksgiving Eve. I'm Dave Dunholm here on ESPN LA. And what a day it was at the World Cup. Got to break it all down for you like we always do here every Monday through Friday. You can also podcast the show. You can hit me up on Twitter at TalkSoccer. Canada couldn't quite get it done against Belgium. Michi Batshuayi's goal against the run of play late in the first half. And that's the big story. Canadians... First appearance in the World Cup since the 80s, and they were the CONCACAF champions for a reason, and they showed it in this Group F match against uh, Belgium. Belgium win 1-0. We'll break it down from their perspective, but let's go from the Canadian perspective. Canada was the better team. Now, what does that mean? doesn't mean anything in the table. You didn't get the three points. You didn't even get a draw. They missed too many chances, frankly. Alfonso Davies misses a penalty. They had 22 shots, only three of them on goal, and Tibor Courtois usually doesn't get beat by just three shots somehow, including the PK he saved, right? He's world-class. Belgium did what they had to do. Again, Batshuayi finishes up the chance, in for Lukaku in this one, and uh, Belgium, well, let's get to Belgium first because I got more to say on Canada, and the Canada fully deserved you know, something out of this match. It wouldn't have been a shock by any means. If they'd have won this one, they would have fully deserted. But Belgium deserved to win because they're professional enough to finish that one opportunity, that real, really their only real opportunity of the match. And they put it away in late in the first half. And it wasn't deflating to Canada. Roberto Martinez was going to always make changes in the second half. They got run over in the first half. It looked like USA-Wales, didn't it? Canada played great. Faster, sharper, crisper than Belgium. Younger, it looked like. Kevin De Bruyne looked like he was 51 today, not 31. Kevin De Bruyne was maybe the worst player on the pitch most of the game. I know that's a little too far, but he's world-class. He looked awful. Belgium better be careful because they got the full three, and that's all that really matters. If you're, if you're from a Belgian perspective in terms of a, being a fan or, or following Belgium, you're like, phew, okay, terrible performance, frankly. Second best in almost every category throughout the match. Thankfully, we have Thibaut Courtois, and thankfully, Michi finished the one real chance he got. And we won a game where Kevin De Bruyne looked like hot garbage most of the match. Just was not his day. And it happens. Eden Nazar never really got going, although he played hard, played pretty well at times. Never really got into the match because Canada was on the front foot and they played well. And if you're Belgium and you don't, if you don't secretly tell yourself Canada were far better than us in this one, then you're lying. doesn't mean anything in the table, though. They got the full three points. Isn't that all that matters? Canada would have been happy to play like garbage and win 1-0. Maybe. Hear me out. Canada saw in Group F what Morocco and Croatia did earlier in the day. Nil-nil. It was a wild game. It was back and forth. Not a lot going on for either side. Two shots on goal. They didn't want to lose that match, knowing they got to both play Belgium later. But Canada saw what the Croatia and Morocco have. Canada's not scared of Croatia nor Morocco. What did I say yesterday? I said Belgium would probably run over Canada if they were ready. You know, if, if the Belgians played well. But Canada would have nothing to fear in this group yet. Really. Now, even more so after this match, Canada was the better team. They're the better team out of anybody who played in Group F. I know things change from game to game. The next one, it's Croatia versus Canada. Croatia may come out and play the best game they've ever played in the World Cup, which is saying something. 
because they were in the final last time. So they're still dangerous. And Belgium takes on Morocco. Who knows? Morocco really gets into people. Morocco's very talented. I mean, that's a good team, too. This is a tough group, but Canada played the best game out of all of them. And yet they're at the bottom of the table. It is a, a, a wicked game sometimes, isn't it? Painful game. But if you're the Canadians, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, individual performances and such, you have to like what you saw. Absolutely. You don't like your finishing, and you don't deserve the three points because you couldn't finish all your chances. But that hopefully can change. Maybe that's a little bit of variance. What do we always hear from the analytics people? XG, all that. Canada was dominant. So maybe that changes going forward. You know what doesn't change? Spain. 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 Oh, the pain they inflicted on CONCACAF members Costa Rica. It was ugly. 7-0. Touchdown for Spain. And it really wasn't even that close. I don't care if Kaylor Navas is the greatest goalkeeper in the history of the world. He wasn't saving Costa Rica today. Ferran Torres with two goals. Five others scored for Spain. Oh, Luis, Luis Enrique's side looked top-notch ready to roll. But here's the thing I had about Costa Rica, and I tweeted it out during the match. I love their manager. He is a good manager, Luis Fernando Suarez. He knows what he's doing. But man, I don't think he had a great setup for this. And I'll tell you why. And maybe maybe it comes down to the players. Maybe they didn't execute it. But if look, you know how I feel about parking the bus against a, a better team. There's no real reason to. You're going to get chopped up anyway, right? So I always say, go out and play. Now, maybe Costa Rica feels like, look, they're going to have so much of the possession. we got to back off. we got to park the bus a little If you're going to park the bus, if you're going to go that way, then you better park the bus. Costa Rica was like half-heartedly playing either side, and it just got, they got torn apart. If you want to park the bus against Spain, you better put all 11 in the box for 90 minutes. Not going to work, but... If that's the way you feel is the best strategy, you can't half-heartedly do it. You got torn apart because of it. They weren't pressing up high. They weren't annoying Spain. They weren't out-physicaling Spain. They weren't trying to throw them off the rhythm. They sat there and let them come at them until it was too late. I mean, it made no sense. If you're going to park the bus, if you're going to Jose Mourinho this, then get back there and park the bus. Again, losing strategy anyway. Wouldn't have mattered. But it's just, what are you doing, Costa Rica? And they had nothing going forward. And that's I mean, Costa Rica was fourth in CONCACAF, barely qualified for the World Cup for a reason. They're not very good this time around. So no surprise there. But elsewhere in Group E, oh, what a game between Japan and Germany. Talk about We keep talking about tail of the two halves. Oh, the changes Japan made and went right at Germany after Ilkay Gundogan got the penalty in the first half. And, you know, Germany... Certainly looked good in the first half. Wow, Japan just absolutely turned it on, and they get the 2-1 win. Now, this is not a major shock. This is not Saudi Arabia beating Argentina by any means. It just isn't. Japan are very good. Doan win the 75th, and Asano the uh, sub. What a goal he had. Shades of that Landon Donovan goal. You remember that one against Slovakia back in 2014, that roofing the ball, like just ripping it? Right? Or no, it was a 2010, big part. Shades of that kind of goal, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he just, Asano with a brilliant finish on a great run, and Manuel Neuer was kind of left spinning around like a top in goal. And Japan held on. They deserved it. 
because of the second half. I thought they gave Germany a little too much credit in the first, but kind of lulled them to sleep a little bit. And Germany really just could not get back on the front foot. Now, the late goals always help, obviously, when you're trying to put a game away. You don't, you know, if you score in the 54th, it might wake Germany up even a little more. But Japan deserved it. Japan are good. They always seem to get out of their group. This is not a team that's afraid of anybody. They take on Costa Rica next, and Japan can be locking themselves up for a trip to the next round if Spain can take care of Germany. Japan could qualify for the round of 16 before anyone. Well, I don't know what the exact schedule is that day with Germany and Spain, of course. And, of course, other teams are playing their second game. I mean, in this group, Japan could just be rolling if Costa Rica doesn't feel like coming out and actually trying. And that's the game. I mean, Japan, what a win. I mean, fully deserved, though. Absolutely fully deserved. Best effort of the day. You know, of course, Spain's game was better. But, I mean, just the effort that Japan put in to have to come back and get that victory. Very uh, interesting result there with Germany, who, remember, they struggled last World Cup. They flamed out. Maybe the Germans aren't so uh, dominant. or any, I mean, certainly didn't look like a favorite going forward, but I wouldn't count them out just yet. We'll see how Spain responds in that game against Germany on match day two in Group E. Hey, stick around. Coming up, we got a great guest. Maxine Crepeau is going to join us, LAFC and Canadian International. He is coming up. I want to remind you, though, that if you're a fan of Mexico, El Tree, you got another opportunity to go to a watch party that we're having, courtesy of ESPN LA and our friends at Estrella Jalisco. And that's coming up because they're having two of them again for the Argentina match with Mexico on Saturday. 11 a.m. is the kickoff time for that. Fieldhouse Restaurant and Bar that's on uh, Hammer Avenue in Norco or over on uh, Philadelphia in uh, Chino, uh, 5402 Philadelphia. It's Kelly's Sports Pub and Grill. Join us from ESPN LA and Estrella Jalisco for those Mexico L Tree watch parties for those games. Once again, Maxine Crepeau joining us next here on the Road to the Cup with Dave Denholm on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA, breaking down and working up everything about World Cup 2022 in Qatar. Dave Denholm with you here on ESPN LA, and I'm just pleased as punch to be joined by the great Maxine Crepeau, LAFC goalkeeper, Canadian international. Maxine, thank you for joining us. First and foremost, most importantly, how are you feeling? Uh, feeling good. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, everything has been... Uh... Everything has been good with uh, with the rehab and everything, and so I'm really happy. And obviously, uh, we just saw the result of uh, my dear uh, colleagues uh, who just lost one, I think, to Belgium. So this is a little bit bittersweet. Well, not, not bittersweet, but a little bit hurtful, but uh, my body's feeling good, so it's nice. Well, that's good to hear. Now, on to that game, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, bittersweet, I'm sure, because Maxime, Canada was the best team on the pitch, no doubt about it, for 90 minutes. You have to feel, even though you don't get the result. Yeah, I mean, if we play like this in the next two games, uh, we can be confident of getting out of the group with two two wins because uh, that was this is what we would need. But the team played so well, and uh, it's a little bit disappointing because the product on the field has been really, really well, and we've been lacking a little bit of composure in the final third and the the... the in the moments that defines games, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, there, there's a turnaround and the big one this Sunday against Croatia, and uh, Belgium had one, two look on goal, and they get one goal. So this is the the, the tiniest, small difference in the highest level. Is just uh, they have one half a chance and they put it away. 
Yeah, I agree. Is it the kind of thing, Maxine, at this level where if Canada would have scored one today, they might have gotten four? Just getting that confidence rolling? Uh, I would say maybe not four because Belgium's a pretty good team and Courtois is a pretty good co-keeper. But it, I would definitely say that uh, we could have more rhythm and uh, breaking the, the deadlock, to be fair, would have been huge uh, in our momentum and for our confidence because... Our boys play with no fear out there, and uh, it was a good 90 minutes of football uh, for uh, for our team. The performance was solid and complete, so uh, I'm sure the guys are disappointed in the locker room because uh, we could get out of there at least with one point, at least minimum, if it's not three. So uh, we we stood against a good side, uh, but we've shown that... Uh, the quality and the vibe around uh, our selection, uh, well, there, there's something there, you know. Uh, people have the reason to be excited. We are talking with Canadian international goalkeeper, LAFC, uh, MLS champion goalkeeper, Maxine Crepeau. Maxine, what is John Herdman saying to the team? You kind of talked a little bit about how you feel about this match. What is he saying to that team as that game ends? Uh, he's probably uh, he's probably saying it was a great performance but not good enough and that there's a fast and quick turnaround in, in three days time so uh, the reality of the world cup is that you got to be the best in order to be the best so you got to take your chance when you have to be composed and really organized defensively and he's probably uh happy with the he's probably happy with what what was on the field for 90 minutes but not with the final result that's for sure as you looked at that Morocco-Croatia match, it was a bit of a chess match to keep it at nil-nil, I thought. Certainly Croatia's a great team. Morocco gives people problems defensively as well. But as you look at those two teams going forward, I think they're good matchups with Canada. You said it yourself, Maxime. The Canadians have everything to play for. I still believe the round of 16 is within, within reach by far. No question. They can get out of this group. Uh, correct. Uh, I mean, uh, if we play the same way with no fear and uh, we can capitalize on, on these chances that we've had because uh, entering the box uh, was not a problem today. Uh, it, it was just the final project. So um, Croatia is obviously a good team with a lot of experience, a lot of vets, uh, kind of similar in terms of age and uh, international experience that Belgium has. Uh, but Morocco is, is is a good and talented team. Maxime, I think it's clear now, Maxime, that Canada's just at a different level now, and 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 there's no going back. There, you guys have just done something so special with this uh, generation that it's just going to continue. I believe. I think you are going to be on the world stage from here on out. Where did it change, I think, along the way for Canada? You've been around as an international goalkeeper. You've been a great goalkeeper in MLS for a long time. Where do you think it kind of the turning stone was for Canada now and taking these next steps? Yeah, when uh, our, our our coach John was uh, hired, I would say four years ago, uh, this is where the program and the culture changed. Uh, we turned a corner by playing bigger teams and to compete. We had more quality, but we were better. Um, we were better in our tactics and our quality on the field. So. Uh, Outside of the field as well, the brotherhood that we have within the group is fantastic. And so uh, four years ago when John uh, came into the program, things started to change. And two years ago, this is where our quality uh, was was brought onto light and that we could get results against uh, great teams. And obviously, uh, now that we are on a world stage, uh, we have to be there for the many years to come. Maxine Crepeau, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us here on Road to the Cup. 
And, uh, hey, all the best to you in, in your, re- your recovery and rehab, and also all the best to Canada after a great start against Belgium in Group F. Thanks so much, buddy. Perfect. Thank you. Have a good day. Always a pleasure to talk to Maxime, one of my favorites, LAFC MLS Cup champion goalkeeper who has been with the Canadian national team, of course, unable to go to the World Cup this time after suffering the injury in the MLS Cup final against Philadelphia. But great to talk to him, get his perspective. And John Herdman is a fantastic coach. And he talked about how things change for Canada dramatically then. Of course, there are other uh, you know factors. You still have to have the players, right? You still got to perform. And what I saw from Canada... Maxine kind of talked about it, just that the belief that, you know, willingness to get forward, knowing you're, you're going to, you can play with anybody. It is so crucial in the world cup because look, everybody, fans can go on social media and people can go on and say, Oh, you know, this team's going to blow out this team. Belgium are so much better than, I mean, if you just switch jerseys or don't know who those teams are, you would think Belgium was like the Saudi Arabia upset over Argentina type of win today, right? You take away the name on the jersey and just try to remember those 90 minutes you watched earlier today, Belgium and Canada. Take away the jersey name or take away the country name, and it would have felt like, wow, that team that won 1-0 must be one of the worst teams in the tournament, and they just beat a, a potential favorite of the tournament, Right? It could have been, it, it could have been you could have been fooled into thinking whoa that was like an Argentina Saudi Arabia upset. That's how good Canada was in this match. Now, as I said, you got to and even Maxine alluded to it. You got to put the ball in the back of the net. You don't win when you don't score. Denholm's rule, right? We got Lawler's law, Denholm's law. You don't win in soccer if you don't score. <laughs> the best you can hope for is what Morocco and Croatia did earlier in the day in Group F. Nil-nil. But there were goals aplenty today. Spain, 7-0 over Costa Rica. We talked a little bit about Japan getting the big win over Germany. 2-1. That puts that group on its head. Group F, though, still a lot to play for. Because if Belgium comes out like that, Croatia and Morocco will think they can get something from them, too. If Kevin De Bruyne looks like my age, instead of the 31-year-old world-class player that he is, right? then anybody can beat Belgium. Their center backs are a little on the older side. The team didn't look real good in this match. You know what I love, though? Uh, I love when uh, you know everybody was quick to jump on Walker Zimmerman. Oh, he plays an MLS. Look at the foul he committed. It's a penalty he gives up. Yanni Carrasco sticks his arm out and gives up a penalty against Canada. If Canada and Alfonso Davies, who's world class, can finish that, which he should... This game might have been 2-0, 3-0 Canada, right? And Yanni Carrasco, he, he commits a, a penalty in the box. What, does La Liga stink because he plays for Atletico Madrid? <laughs> Some fans are just so myopic and so ridiculous, but it, it happens. Yanni Carrasco sticks his arm out crazily and gets a penalty, and rightfully so. If, if Alfonso Davies buries that and Thibaut guesses wrong, you know, just dives the wrong way, even though it wasn't a good penalty from Davies, easily savable. But if Thibaut Courtois decided he was going the other way, then Yanni Carrasco, oh, heaven forbid, is he terrible because he plays at Atletico Madrid? Is La Liga awful? Come on. These teams are, these players are so good, there's very little between a lot of them, right? That's why the world-class players are called world-class because they do stand out. But Canada was every bit equal to Belgium and, frankly, much better. And they can do it again in their next match against 
Croatia, who, by the way, looked very average, but is also a very good team. Tough group, Group F. Hey, news for Harry Kane and England coming up. We'll take a look into that as, of course, the United States taking on England on Friday as we keep marching on in this World Cup. We also take a look at some of the games coming up tomorrow on Thanksgiving. It never stops, right? Once the World Cup group stage gets rolling, it is pandemonium, and we're here for it every day. It's what we love here on Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm back with you on another Great day of World Cup action. We had surprises. We had goals aplenty. We had a pretty darn good nil-nil draw between Morocco and Croatia. It was a good game. Not a lot of clear-cut chances in that one, but I think both teams at some point in the second half just decided we cannot lose this match with Belgium in our group, thinking, of course, that Belgium might be very difficult and you don't want to get blown away by a Belgium and you don't you want to get that one point in the bag at least. Like You can't afford to lose to Morocco or Croatia if you're either of those teams. However, looks like Belgium a little more susceptible after Canada came after them in that 1-0 Belgium victory that was clearly better team lost there, without a doubt. U.S. going to be taking on England coming up. We all know this on Friday. Big game on Black Friday. Massive game for the United States after England got off their World Cup start with a 6-2 win. But it looked like Harry Kane, maybe a bit of an ankle issue, and uh, ESPN was, was reporting that uh, I think sources were saying that it wasn't dramatic, you know, it wasn't a bad injury necessarily. I'm going to go to that story again. ESPN had it on ESPN FC. Check out their work. Uh, and uh, it, so the question becomes, I guess, is if Harry Kane is not a hundred percent, you know, what do you do there? And this is a story from James, uh, by the way, James uh, Ollie, uh, writer at ESPN FC, talking about how. Uh, Sources have told him basically it's an ankle injury scare, but it looks like he, you know, they're hopeful he's going to be ready, according to Ollie's story. So, what do you do if you're England and Harry, if you're Harry Kane? You get the 6 2 win. You're taking on a U.S. team that certainly will give you a tougher test than Iran did on that day. But you have a lot of weapons. There's no two ways about it. England is a very deep team. Now Mario, Mario Ree is my producer here. What would you do if. Let's just say Harry Kane is, maybe it's not a bad injury, but, you know, he's 70-30 of whether he really should play or not. Let's say, he, you know, if if you had to, if it was a World Cup final, he's playing, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. But, if it's the final, you know, he's in there. Yeah, in this match, though, let's say he's healthy enough that if, you know, if it's a, it a knockout game, of course he's going to play. There's some concern about it. Based on where you are in this group, right? Wales only on one point. U.S. only on one point. Do you play Harry Kane in this game? Maybe in the second half. Depending on how the first half goes, I'll let him ride on the first half. And uh, depending on the second half, no, he's not starting for me. So you don't start him. Yeah, you're not expecting – you don't want to push him 90-plus minutes or in this, World Cup, in this World Cup, 105 minutes sometimes. Like you said, they're a deep team. They're a deep team. They have guys in there that can uh, definitely slide right in there and, and do it well. Yeah, Absolutely. It, it brings up interesting points, though, too. If you're the United States, how do you prepare for that? Now, you have to assume he's going to play, certainly. You, you make that assumption. But it could change things if he doesn't. In other words, you've got to assume he's going to play. You've got to be prepared for the best player that the English national team has. Defensively, you better be ready for Harry Kane on any given day. But if he doesn't play, it could change things so dramatically that it could, it could cause some issues, really, for the United States, at least early in this match. So it's an interesting kind of 
take here on what would you do if you're Gareth Southgate, but also how does it affect the United States? Certainly, if Harry Kane couldn't play or doesn't play in the match, it's a benefit for the U.S. I mean, if he doesn't play at all, of course, he's, he's a great player. So, yeah. Now, we don't want to see anybody out with injury, but if he doesn't play, I'm not going to cry about it if I'm a U.S. fan, which I am. You know, I'm not shed any tears over a tiny ankle injury that's not life-threatening or career-threatening. You know, hey, Harry, if you want to take the day off, you have my blessing, in other words, as a U.S. fan. But it could change things dramatically, too. And as you said, they're so deep doesn't really affect how England could perform by any means. I mean, they could still come out and blow the doors off of anybody. And the U.S. could still go beat England with a full Harry Kane, you know, 100% Harry Kane. The United States could still beat them, no question. So it's not going to necessarily change the outcome so dramatically, but it's an interesting question now as we're just a couple of days away. Berhalter will probably have the guys ready for both scenarios, with a Harry Kane or without a Harry Kane. Yeah, but what you they would really got to do is play their own game, right? They got to stick to their own game plan, their own identity. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a fair point. It is a fair point because we got to worry about, uh, you know, finding our Harry Kane, somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net, you know, and create chances deep, not just, you know, look good in the middle of the field or, or the, uh, the, you know, between the thirds here. Everybody looks so good for the U.S., right? We're running around creating TikTok videos as we, we look so good. But how about when it really counts down by the goal? That's where the U.S. was severely lacking. If you have to make one change, if you can only make one change for the United States, and I think I know what it is for me, you have to make a one personnel change, Mario, for this game. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? I'm throwing in Reyna in there. Definitely. He needs to be on that pitch. See, I... I I kind of feel that's what Burhalter was doing by holding him out of that game to make sure he's 100%, make sure there's no, you know, any issue, tough game that they were playing against Wales. Wales was, you know, certainly defending for their life in a lot of that match to make sure they didn't give up another goal, physical. So I think you're onto something there. I think that's a good call. I think that maybe indeed even be what happens. I would still actually keep Reyna on the bench to start the match. My change would be Jesus Ferreira up front. And I, I think it's, for one thing, I just don't think Josh Sargent against the English defense, I didn't see enough of him from him against Wales. He's not a bad player. I have no problem if he starts. Like I said, he could come out and have the best game of his life against England. Wouldn't surprise me. But I like Ferreira better. I prefer Ferreira for what this team needs right now. It's that guy who can also finish, but he can morph into his dad a true number 10 at any time as well. David Ferreira, the former MLS MVP, right? He can He's the best of both worlds often. Now, he's got his limitations at times, too. He's not, he's not a finished product by any means. But this guy had a sensational season. Greg Berhalter likes when guys are hot. Ferreira had a sensational season. He does link up well with teammates. Now, I don't know. You know, he hasn't seen a lot of time with some of these players because the U.S. has been so banged up over the last couple of years. But so maybe there's things that, you know, Burhalter seeing and all these warm-ups and preparation. I mean, maybe he's seeing, certainly seeing things that we're not. But I just feel like Ferreira could be the guy to unlock some of this trouble that the United States. And it's not just about the Wales match. This has been going on for a while with me when I see a Greg Burhalter team. They play good. They play well. They're talented. These guys are playing in the best, biggest clubs in the world. There's no issue with that. I mean, just list some of them. Serginho Desk goes from Barcelona to AC Milan. 
you know, uh, Pulisic, we all know, you know, Chelsea. Name the names, Juventus. It just goes on and on. It's fine. I mean, they have no fear of anybody. They're talented. But it's when we get down to that final third, it becomes a little too out of control at times. Now, Pulisic, you know, the exception. The pass he delivered on our goal and Tim Weah's finish was stellar. We just don't do it enough. It's not even about finishing all the time. It's just creating the opportunities. Canada had the problem finishing, but they had no lack of opportunity. The United States didn't even really threaten Wales all that much, if we're being honest. We fully deserved at least a draw, mind you, because we did play well defensively. I don't care what anyone tells me. Gareth Bale was non-existent until he decided to do Gareth Bale things and earn a PK that most people wouldn't even be able to... move fast enough or quick enough to get to. But they didn't, you know, Matt Turner made one nice save, yeah. Big deal. They didn't threaten. But neither did we. And if we're going to keep England on their back heels, I don't know, you can't let England get that comfortable, that's for sure. We're not going to become whales in the game against England. If Greg Berhalter does that, I'll be so upset. There's no need to park the bus. The United States doesn't need to park the bus against any team in the world. Yes, I'm talking about you, Spain and France. Go get in their face and play. We have way too much talent to be worried about parking the bus. But you got to put the ball in the back of the net. And you got to, 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 to do that, unless you're Michi Batuai today, by accident, scoring one goal on the only real chance you get, the United States needs some chances. And that's my big concern with this game against England. Where are the chances going to come? And stop, okay, once and for all here, stop talking about, oh, you got to get replace Walker Zimmer. He's the best defender we have. Defenders give up PKs. It's part of the job description, unfortunately, at times. The greatest defender you ever saw gave up plenty of PKs in his life. Paolo Maldini, if you go back and watch, gave up plenty over the course of his whole career. He's the greatest defender I've ever seen. Okay, it happens. You don't go benching guys for that after one game. I'll tell you what, if Greg Berhalter benches Walker Zimmerman because of that, he's lost the team, in my opinion. He would lose me. He's not going to do that, and he shouldn't. Walker Zimmerman's the best defender we have. You dust yourself off, and you get right back to it. And that's what he'll do. But if you had to make the one change, Mario says Gio Reyna. Cannot argue with that one. I would like to keep Reyna on the bench for that second half sub, potentially, and start Jesus Ferreira. What would you do? Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. If you had to make one change and one change only to the personnel that we saw against Wales, which was really essentially, again, you can haggle about one or two play. It was a good starting lineup. There's no two ways about that. Very solid starting lineup. With, and I don't, I don't think anybody could really argue more than making one or two slight changes. Eh. But tell me the one you might make at Talk Soccer on Twitter. Hey, still to come, we got Group G and Group H coming up next on Thanksgiving. Again, kicking off at 2 a.m. We'll break those down as well. And stoppage time. That's coming up next. This is Road to the Cup. Dave Denholm hanging out with you on ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup. Dave Denholm hanging out with you on ESPN LA. And also want to remind you, big game, of course, Friday, the United States taking on England, but on Saturday, a big game, and you can go be a part of it with your friends, your L-Tree faithful friends as well. 
It is uh, the uh, watch parties with the game with Mexico and Argentina. We're throwing watch parties here at ESPN LA with the help of our friends from Estrella Jalisco. And these coming up on Saturday, 11 a.m., the kickoff for that. The first one's at Fieldhouse Restaurant and Bar, 5555 Hammer Avenue. That's in Norco. And if you're close to Chino, maybe if that's easier, go to Kelly's Sports Pub and Grill, 5402 Philadelphia Suite K in Chino for the ESPN LA watch parties brought to you by our friends at Estrella Jalisco for Mexico and Argentina. They are going to be throwing a couple of those also for the Mexico-Saudi Arabia match, which looks like will be a big match as well because Saudi Arabia, of course, turned that whole group, Group C, on its head with that victory over Argentina. That's what upsets do. And that's what upsets will always do in a first game. Speaking of first games, we've got a couple of groups kicking off for the first time on Thanksgiving tomorrow. It's uh, at 2 a.m., Switzerland and Cameroon starting things off in Group G. The other Group G game will be Brazil and Serbia, the last game of the day at 11 a.m. In between, at 5 a.m., you got Uruguay, South Korea in Group H, and Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo, who's now without a club, against Ghana. In Group H, Ghana, of course, coming out of the toughest uh, qualifying uh, region in the world, AFCON. uh, The African qualifying is the toughest in the world, and Ghana always seems to find their way through. They are a very, very good footballing nation. They're going to give Portugal fits in Group H tomorrow, I suspect. Well, Let's start with Group G, though. Switzerland and Cameroon in the first game. The Swiss are similar to me to, to Denmark. Not necessarily the style of play or the talent or whatever. Switzerland is just very hard to get three points off of. They scrap, they claw, they do whatever they have. They have skill. They can certainly play with teams. It's not like they're just you know workers who just have no skill, but they're just going to try to muck up the game. But they will. They'll do that too. And they don't have superstars necessarily by any means. I mean, if you know, if you really look at it and try to break it down, they just are hard to beat. They're not going to be one of those teams you're going to come in and just have a comfortable 2-0. Unless, I mean, certainly it's just one of their worst days or something. It is possible. But Switzerland, you have Jardin Shakiri, of course, for the local angle from MLS. Shakiri, formerly Liverpool, a couple of other, you know, Lyon. Uh, certainly a good player. But Switzerland, just a lot of guys who are just tough to beat individually and as a team, the collective. Granit Xhaka's having a great season. Certainly it's a name who's going to come up for Arsenal. Seferovic you got, who's still out there doing his thing. Just na- good names, good players. Fabian Fry, one of the seasoned veterans on this team. Zakaria is a good player, even though he's not getting a ton of time or what, not necessarily having the year, the start of the year he wants, but it's still a great player. And they got good goalkeeping. Jan Sommer is one of my favorites. So this Swiss team is going to give everybody fits in this group. Cameroon will come out and play. Again, you qualify from Africa, you can play. And I like Cameroon. They've got names you've also heard of, too. You know, they're kind of a nation that's not going to sneak up on anybody. This Cameroonian side. Brazil and Serbia round out the group. It is, if you look at it and you think, if you believe like Switzerland and Cameroon can really play, which I do, this is the toughest group in the World Cup because Serbia did very well in their qualifying. If you haven't heard of guys like Dusan Vlaovic, well, you're going to open your ears because you're going to hear about him. Serbia can play. They're going to give Brazil fits tomorrow in that game. No question. In my, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get a result. Certainly they can beat Brazil. They're good enough. 
Now, Brazil is one of the favorites of the tournament. I can't say anything but because they're loaded. And if I had to choose, I was choosing before the tournament, Netherlands, Argentina, and Brazil. I thought one of those teams was going to win this tournament. Now, the Netherlands got the victory, didn't look all that great against Senegal, left it late. Uh, Argentina, we know, obviously threw up on their shoes in their first game, so we know they've got a, a mountain to climb now. So it's up to Brazil, and I don't have any doubt Brazil will deliver. This team is absolutely loaded right up to the top of this roster from the very top to the bottom. Doesn't matter. If 1 to 26, take your pick. Keep your eye out for Vinicius, of course. The Real Madrid man, man, he's 22. He's a young kid, but wow, so talented. I mean, this team is just absolutely loaded. They have everything, and it's not just like some Brazilian teams. You know, we we know which ones. Even when I was younger, they were offense, offense, offense. Not that they couldn't defend, but they were just so like, let's win 6-2 or 7-3 or 5-3 that they lost their defense sometimes. But this team can defend. Absolutely. They can defend all over the pitch, too. Now, is Neymar going to high press for 95 minutes of pure helter-skelter? No, probably not. But they don't need that. They need Neymar to do what he does in the final third, and he will. I think Brazil is the best team coming into the tournament. I do think that Argentina can still recover, and the Netherlands going to be tough coming through the bracket they're coming through and the way they go through the bracket. But Brazil, to me, is the team to beat. That doesn't mean they're going to have immediate success in this game against Serbia because Serbia will stymie you. They will get into you defensively, and they will make it difficult for Brazil. They will. Group H is some very intriguing matchups here on day one in this group. Uruguay, a lot of people are talking about them maybe being a team who can make some noise, if not like a favorite. I think South Korea is a little weaker than they have been in the last couple of World Cups that I've seen them not a bad team by any means, and we've seen that Asia, you know, Qatar notwithstanding, but the teams that came out of Asian qualifying, Saudi Arabia, Japan, uh, they can play. So don't put anything past those teams, but I, I think South Korea may be one of their weaker teams coming into this one. That's just my impression of this team. I think Uruguay will handle them tomorrow in Group H. The Portugal-Ghana game, not because of all the Cristiano Ronaldo drama. I don't think that's going to affect Portugal. They're too season. They're too much of a veteran team. But I don't know that they're... I I mean, people do look at this Portugal side as like one of the favorites, and I'm not there yet with this team. I kind of have to see it in this group because I like the way this group is balanced. This could be a very... Again, not the group of death because I don't think any of these teams are as much of a favorite maybe as Brazil or you know other teams, but it's a very balanced group which could play out to be a kind of a group of death, if you will, because it's anybody's game. If South Korea performs better than I think they will, if they can give teams fits and drag them down a little bit and and really finish, then this could be a really topsy turvy group. Like this could be one of those where you're everybody always goes to the old favorites, right? Oh, it's going to be Uruguay and Portugal. That's the the default, just because it's lazy. But it could be Ghana and South Korea get out of here. And it wouldn't surprise me. Not like it would surprise everybody else. So absolutely up in the air in this group. Great stuff. It's going to be a great Thanksgiving day. We have a show coming up tomorrow, by the way. We don't go anywhere Monday through Fridays here. 
we'll bring you the show. I promise you that. Now it's time for uh, one of my favorite times of the uh, show. As we get close to that final whistle, it is stoppage time with Mario Reyes. Mario. Dave, I want to go back to that brilliant performance from Spain earlier this morning. Wow, what a dominant performance. I've never seen such a dominant performance in the World Cup. And I got a couple of the numbers here for you. Spain had 81.3% of possession in their 7-0 win against Costa Rica. That's the highest in a World Cup match since 1966. And they also outpassed Costa Rica, get this, 976 passes to Costa Rica's 165. It was insane. Utterly insane. They owned the ball. Yeah, Costa Rica had zero shots. Not zero shots on goal. Zero shots. Wow. That is insane. I don't care. Mario, I don't care if you're playing a high school team and you're the best team in the world. You should be, you're going to give up a shot or two (laughs) unless you're Spain playing Costa Rica. And some of that's on Costa Rica, but a lot of that is on how good Spain really is. And they they were just, that was maybe the most dominant World Cup game I've ever seen. Oh yeah, for sure. In my eyes, same thing. Now, let me bring this back to to LAFC because we had Maxime Tropeau on earlier from LAFC, of course, uh, the, the champs of MLS. Now I saw... Uh, Cifuentes, Jose Cifuentes, who plays for Ecuador, he made his debut in the World Cup earlier in the week. And when he was walking off of the pitch, he took off his jersey and he reached up into the stands and handed it to his dad, which was very cool to see. And then later on on Instagram, I saw in his story, he wrote a message uh, to his dad that said, I'm going to translate it here. So bear with me here. He said, um, this is all yours, my old man. You deserve this shirt and much, much more. Thank you for all that you've done, Dad. Uh, I only want to tell you a million thanks uh, because you worked so hard to give me a good education. And now I can tell you, Dad, that I have achieved my dreams from a kid. And you were there watching from the stands the entire time. This little boy is in the World Cup. We did it, Dad. I love you. Oh, man, I got chills right there, Dave. Are you trying to make me cry here to end the show here on Stoppage Time? I think you just did. So I was holding back my tears for sure. I mean, yeah. you and I are dads, and, and I, me, I'm taking my son to soccer training almost every day. And, and, man, it's a sacrifice for us. Can you imagine having your your your, uh, your kid yeah. play in a, such a big stage like that? That's amazing. No, I cannot. It would be unreal. So kudos to Jose for uh, sending out those uh, – thanks and praises for his father that is awesome no doubt about it great to see great to see jose get into that match and you know hopefully many more minutes here coming up for all the lafc players in this world cup we wish them nothing but the best that is awesome that's going to do it for road to the cup for this one i am dave denholm thanks so much for joining us he is mario Rees. each and every day monday through friday we'll be with you tomorrow happy thanksgiving but we'll be here tomorrow on the show and if you miss anything you can podcast it Wherever you get your pods or go to ESPNLA, the app, ESPNLA's app, a great place to get it as well. Once again, this is Road to the Cup on ESPNLA.